Welcome back to Shadows in the Limelight. Today's guest brings us a drummer. Actually, he is far more than just a drummer. He's an actor, author, been on Broadway, but he does play drums on the new Ace Freely record, 10,000 Volts, that is out on the 23rd of February. Our guest today is Joey Casada. Joey embodies the take your good time with you mentality as he shares stories that are found in his book, Start With a Dream. Links to both the audiobook and hard copy are in the show notes. I personally got the audiobook, and I think that is absolutely awesome because Joey reads it. It's like having Joey right in your ear. Let's just get right to it. Here's my interview with Joey Casada. Joey, welcome to Shadows in the Limelight. How's it going, buddy? How are you, David? Thanks for having me. Hey, I am doing fantastic. I get to talk to you. This is my favorite part of my day today. Um, nine days until 10,000 Volts comes out. Are you excited? Woo! Oh, my God, am I excited. This album, it's so great. You know, I know Ace is pumping it in the media, and Steve Brown is out there pumping it. Um, sometimes when you pump it so much, there's a backlash. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, people haven't heard it yet, and some people are like, oh, it can't be as good as people are saying. It can't be. It is that damn good. Let me tell you something. It is, it's, if you like the first Freely's Comet record, I know Ace and Steve like to compare it to the 78 solo record. I love comparing it more to something like the first Freely's Comet record, which has some bangers like, you know, We Got Your Rock and Love Me Right and Rock Soldiers. But it also has these melodic pop songs like Dolls, like Calling to You, like Something Moved, Into the Night. This record to me is very reminiscent of that. I'm telling you, Dolls actually is one of the unsung heroes on that album, I think. I absolutely love that track. I remember listening to it with my dad back in the day. And I, I love that first Braley's Comet record. I actually put the vinyl on just the other day just because I hadn't heard it in so long. How did you get plugged into this project? So long story. So I've been working with Steve for years. Um, Steve and I and uh, PJ Farley from Trickster as well. Trickster. We do we do shows with Eric Martin from Mr. Big. We do like our own little thing. We do all the Trickster hits. We do all the Mr. Big hits. It's a great little um, side project we all do. It's so much fun. We just have a blast doing it. We do some festivals. We do some stuff in LA and Vegas. We go all around, you know, a couple of shows a year, nothing crazy, but kind of just to keep our beaks wet. It's so much fun keeping in touch with those guys and you know we just got to grow and love each other over the years i fill in for some trick trickster dates here and there so steve and i have been working together for years i've done so many demos with him over the years he just recorded drums for my new uh, original project zo2 which I'm, I'm most known for i did most of my drum tracks at his studio and kind of while i was doing those he was talking to me about hey dude interesting you know i'm doing i'm working with ace now and he knows i'm you know, the biggest kiss buff in the world, interested in laying some demos down. You know, I don't know what's going to come of it, but, you know, let's do some demos and see what happens. And, you know, we'll take it from there. And that's kind of how it started. I just one day ran over there and he sent me some, you know, basic tracks, no vocals, just some guitar stuff, just some basic ideas. And I laid down some basic tracks to them. And, you know, he said, of course, dude, no promises. These are just demos. We're going to bring them to Ace. And as they went back and forth with these demos, they started to grow into real songs. And, you know, in, in the world we're in, living in today, there's no more, everyone gets into to the studio, everyone writes together, everyone records together. It's piecemealing things together. So that's kind of how it started. We just started doing some basic tracks, which turned into 
basic songs, which t- demos turned into real tracks. And, you know, I, I just kept getting called back. Steve would call me every couple of weeks. Hey, dude, I got a couple more. I want you to lay down some tracks for. And there, the project just grew. I mean, next to your name, you have author, musician, you've worked on Broadway, you've done everything, but tell me where everything started for you and how you even got into the entertainment industry. At what point in your life did you know this is what I want to do? So, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's a typical Kiss fan story, but it's, it's, it's my story. (laughs) I saw Kiss when I was five years old at Madison Square Garden, 1979 on the Dynasty Tour. And I walked in there, a little chubby kid, just looking to buy a hot dog. And maybe, you know, I didn't even know why the hell we were going. I didn't know what Kiss was. I didn't know what anything was. I just knew, hey, I smell pretzels. I want a hot dog. I want a soda. And I, I followed my, my older brother and, and my mom into the building. And, you know, an hour and a half later, my life changed. And, you know, I walked out of that building a different person knowing that's what I have to do. Not only the sonics, but the vibe in the building, seeing Peter Chris go up onto that drum riser uh, at the end of the show with the pinwheels and the fireworks going off. I said, I don't know how, but I got to get up there one day. And that's from that moment on, it's really all I ever wanted to do. Tell me the path of how, like, what did you, did you immediately leaving that show be like, I'm going to go get lessons. I'm going to buy a drum set. What am I going to do? Are your parents supportive? That kind of thing. Yeah, so it's funny. You, before we got on air, you were mentioning my audio book, and I also have my my uh, my hard copy on Amazon right now. So it's my life story. It really tells all the details. It's a feel good. You know, the book is about. It's my autobiography. It's a feel good story about growing up in the '80s, um, growing up wanting to be a musician, and really whatever obstacle was in front of me whole my whole life, I never gave up. It was, it was, a, it's a story. It's called, the book is called Start with a Dream, a drummer's journey from rock and roll to TV to Broadway. And well, I'm sure we'll get into all that other stuff, but you know, it started with rock and roll to me. And you know, my, the book is really all about never giving up on your dreams. I had so many roadblocks in front of me through my years and there was nothing going to stop me. My mom was the most supportive person in the world. She knew I changed that day too. I came home, funny story from that concert. I was so enthralled with what I saw. Uh, if anyone, and speaking of Ace, if anyone has ever seen Ace do some of his guitar solos when he's on stage, he goes all the way back on his knees and he's playing his guitar. And Gene and Paul are kind of over him, you know, doing their thing. And I went to recreate that when I got home uh, that night. And I jumped off the back of my couch and tried to land like Ace landed on his knees, leaning back. And I fractured my hip. So <laughs> I literally fractured my hip and I was bedridden. I wasn't in a body cast or anything, but I was bedridden for weeks. But weirdly, it wound up being a blessing because I wind up grabbing all my brother's records, throwing them on, on the record player and just listening to, I listened to Kiss for two or three weeks straight. I was home from school. You know, I wasn't, I was in pain, but it was worth it because it was really my, like my introduction to the Kiss catalog. And from there, I just never gave up, you know, um, I went to music high school, uh, bands throughout the years, bands throughout the 80s, trying to get signed, not getting signed. And then, you know, the 90s hit with grunge. And, you know, it's all in the book. It's about all these obstacles that come in front of you. But I think whether you're 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, if you have a dream, don't give up on it. Keep going. Right. And I, I, 
the part of this show that I've always tried to do is just to promote positivity. And I had a grandfather that said, you know, you make sure you always take your good time with you. And that's really why I do this. I don't want any dirt, any negative press. There's so much good in the world that we can still find. That's what we're trying to promote. And when you say start with a dream and getting there and at what point during your career did you feel like I've made it? <laughs> it's so funny. I actually say that exact quote in the book. I don't think, you know, in, as, as a kid, of course, you want to do what you just said. You want to, quote unquote, make it, right? Right. But I don't know if that moment ever actually comes because it's all these little moments that happen to, that build up. And then one day you look back and you go, wow, I did make, make it, I guess. But there wasn't that moment where I said, this is the moment I made it or that's the moment I made it. There are big milestones in my career, of course. Um, my band ZO2, uh, we, we toured the country with Kiss. That, that was a big moment for us. When I got that email, uh, 2004 for the Rock the Nation tour, we opened up for Kiss and Poison. I got that email, I remember one morning, opening up from my managers, hey guys, are you busy this summer? I hope not because we just got 50 dates opening for Kiss. And you know, I can't even imagine that day for you going back to Madison Square Garden, 1979, going, this is now me. And that tour was fantastic. That was the first tour with with Tommy and Eric. And the set list was so much different than what they played on the reunion tour, Psycho Circus and Farewell. That was an awesome tour to be a part of. How many times were you on the other side watching the final shows? <laughs> other side? Watch, meaning that tour? Yeah. Oh my dude, every so every single night we had a ritual. Oh, listen, the three guys in my band, myself and and uh the brothers I was in the band with David Z and Paulie Z, we are the biggest Kiss fans in the world. The way I met Paulie Z, we were in a Kiss tribute band together called Kiss Nation. And he was Paul Stanley and I was Eric Carr, and we did the Creatures of the Night era of Kiss and that's how we met. So we're the biggest Kiss buffs in the world. This was we were an unsigned band. This was our first tour ever. And to get our first tour ever opening up for our dream band, our idols, Kiss, we, trust me, we made every moment count. We, every single night, we got off stage, we had a ritual, we, we would run out to the merch stand, sign autographs, sign everything, sell everything we can, run back, watch a little bit of Poison, in the, from the front row, of course, and we'd run back, try to eat something super quick in between Poison and Kiss, and run back to the merch stand. And as soon as we heard that hum, that Kiss was about to begin, top speed every night, 50 nights, every night where there was no exception, ran to the front row and watched Kiss from the front row from the first song to the last song, every night. That is just an awesome, awesome story. And that that tour would have been just fun to be a part of. I, I remember, uh, actually, I'd forgotten until you said it, that Poison was there, um, kind of in the middle spot on that bill. Um, when you did your Kiss tribute, uh, again, just going back to being a Kiss fan, it, it, does Eric Carr hold a special place in, I mean, I know you've done some covers and you did the Car Jam and some stuff, but uh, special place in your heart for Eric? Yeah, I mean, Peter was the reason why I played drums. But because it was 1979 and Peter was, you know, soon to be gone from Kiss and I was only five, Eric, you know, growing up when I really started to become a seasoned drummer in the 80s, Eric was my biggest influence because Peter was gone from the spotlight. I, I, of course, I loved older Kiss, but I went to see 80s Kiss every year they came around in New York. I grew up in New York, went to Madison Square Garden on Animal Eyes, uh, on Asylum, 
on you know Crazy Nights, on Hot in the Shade, on Revenge, all those tours. So Eric was, you know, my idol, my drum idol growing up. So it's funny when when I answered the ad for you know a Kiss tribute band, I was in so many bands at that point, and we were on some independent labels, but it was becoming a business to me, and I was weirdly enough not enjoying playing my drums anymore. It was the first time in my life. And I couldn't believe it. I said, God, what, what, what do I have to do right now? And as fate would have it, just searching like classifieds one day, I saw this ad that said Kiss tribute band looking for Eric Carr to do Creatures of the Night era drums. And I went, this, Jesus Christ, this is fate. And it turned out to be because from there doing, you know, pursuing something that I loved, which was just going to be playing Kiss songs for, you know, a couple bucks here and there, but the enjoyment of it created the, you know, the, the opportunity for me to meet Paulie and then forming ZO2 and getting the KISS tour and then all the other things that happened in my career. But, you know, I, I, like you said before, I'm all about positivity. And I really believe that, you know, things happen in life for a reason. And I think that that moment I was miserable playing my drums and I knew something inside me said, no. You're not going to get anywhere being miserable just by following trends. Because I was trying to follow trends and do grunge bands or do, you know, gin blossom type bands in the 90s, at the, at the late 90s. And it, I just wasn't enjoying it. And it wasn't until I went back to what I enjoyed that I started to succeed in my career. You know, they always say don't chase trends. Trends will come back around to you. And that's what happened. That's a great way to put it. And I think that the the lesson for everybody to think think about is that no matter what your gig is, you could still have a bad day or a bad time in your life where even if you're doing what you're meant to be doing, you can still be drugged through it. And I, I think that eventually good things will come around, take your signs, work hard, grind it out. And and clearly, have you, have you had another spot in your career since then where you just didn't think you were on the right path? Is it kind of continuous or... No, I, from that moment, you know, it was a clarity moment for me because like I said, I was chasing, I was chasing, I was in bands in the 80, late 80s and early 90s. And, you know, we were always getting the same thing from record labels. You're 280s, you're too skid row, you're too this, you're too that, because it just wasn't in at that point. So I started chasing trends. And then, you know, I had that clarity moment when I answered this ad for the Kiss Tribute Band. And from that moment on, because it really just fulfilled this this thing in my body that I didn't even know that that I was wanting that just enjoyment of playing my music again. From that moment, that clarity moment, I never looked back. I never decided to say, "Hey, I need to go that way. I need to go that way." I just every moment from that moment on, I did what I loved to do, and no one was going to tell me no. And there's been plenty of people in my life that said, "What are you crazy? You can't do that. You can't write a book." You can't be a star of a TV show. You can't play on Broadway. Oh, yeah? Watch me. And that's just, that's the story right there to just keep making it. Watch me do it. I mean, as far as the haters in life telling you you can't, I I can't take it enough from you that anybody that's listening to this show, prove them wrong and continue to try and prove them wrong. I just, I think that's great. And looking at a couple more things, like the Broadway piece, uh, I, I guess, and again, the book is Start With a Dream. 2020, it came out. You can actually hear, you got to read the audiobook, right? I literally made the download today because I was like, I'm an audiobook guy. Go get it. It's going to feel like Joey's in your ear whispering. It'll be fantastic. But it, 
tell me how the Broadway piece came to came to light. So, you know, ZO2, a uh, little backstory on ZO2. So ZO2 did the KISS tour. We did many tours after that. We opened up for, you know, all of our favorite bands of all time. Twisted Sister shirt I'm wearing right now and Dream Theater and uh, God, Sammy Hagar and, and Cinderella and all these bands, we, you know, we did runs with and tours and, and opened up for. We did so many things. And, you know, we during that time, just because, you know, to pay the bills, we were also... An in, a kids entertaining band, um, not like the Wiggles. We would be, you know, we would dress as rock guys and go in and play. We wouldn't play Wheels on the Bus. We'd play Hard Day's Night and Sweet Child of Mine and stuff like that. And from there, again, fate. I, I'm a true believer in it. At a kid's birthday party, there was someone there that that was like, "What the hell are you guys doing at this three year old birthday party? You look like Aerosmith. What are you? I mean, what are you doing?" Like, well, we're actually a real band. This is our day gig. And we're just looking for another body in the building. We said, hey, we're playing DB Kings in Times Square tonight. Why don't you come down and check us out? And sure enough, the guy comes down and we were happy to see him because it was just another body, body in the audience. And it turned out that this guy was an agent from William Morris, one of the biggest talent agencies in the company, uh, in the world. And so we were excited because we just figured he would get us some more tours and more opportunities. But he unfortunately broke the news that he was in the TV division at William Morris. So we didn't give a shit. We pivoted and we said, hey, why don't we do a TV show then? He goes, well, what do you mean? Well, we're like, hey, you know, we have this Clark Kent Superman type thing. We're, kids band, we're a kids band during the day and a rock band at night. Let's do something with that. He's like, hey, let, write me up a treatment. We wrote him up a treatment. You know, I'm, I'm condensing the story because to get your own TV show takes years, but I'm condensing this three-year story into this conversation. And, you know, a couple of years later, after going through the motions and filming a sizzle reel and shopping to network, we got our own television show called Z-Rock. And it was on TV for, for three seasons, uh, two seasons. And uh, it was the biggest hit in IFC history at the time. And, you know, from there, you know, ZO2 kind of ran its course. We, we had a great run. ZO2 was on top of the world with Z-Rock. And then... You know, we all kind of grew apart after Z-Rock got canceled and uh, I got married and had some kids. My, my singer got married and we just needed a little break from each other. So after that, you know, I was a family man and I had my, my first kid and a second one on the way. And I decided, you know what, I don't want to tour right now. I don't want to do this, anything like that. I obviously have to still play music. I've always wanted to break into Broadway. And, you know, everyone, how the hell do you break into Broadway? It's impossible. Right. It's an impossible endeavor. And, you know, sure enough, again, you put positive vibes out there. Things happen. I was working with a, a friend of mine. Uh, we were both backup members of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And he got hired to do this new off-Broadway play called uh, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And he's like, hey, dude, are you interested in doing this? He didn't think I was because he, he knows I'm a rock guy. And I jumped at the chance. And Sure enough, you know, 600 shows on Broadway later, you know, we were doing that show. It was incredible. That is, and how do you get the confidence to be able to say, yeah, I, I can do that? Where does Dude, it come from? I, I don't know. It, it's jumping into the fire because I honestly, you know, he sent me, you know, I, I, I read and I, you know, I went to school for music and stuff, but I wasn't a Broadway guy. These guys are like the top musicians in the world. You put books in front of them. They can just sight read anything you give them. I wasn't that caliber, but, you know, they gave me the book. He's like, hey, come down tomorrow and, you know, play these songs. I'm like, tomorrow? He's like, he, sh he sent me the sheet music. 
And I said, fuck it. What do I have to lose? What, what, what am I doing? This is what I want. Work on it all night long. Go down, kill the audition, and, and, and show them that you could do it. And that's exactly what happened. That is just incredible. I, I guess for those that are listening, don't let fear get in the way of anything that you can do. If you've got any bit of the ability, grit and grind will get you the rest you, of the way there. Fail, you will fail every time if you don't take the shot. If you, every shot you don't take is an immediate strikeout. You might as well try. Nothing bad can ever happen from trying because if you fail, you're going to learn from that failure anyway. Maybe I needed to work harder. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I needed to learn this for next time. Whatever you do, try something. And if you fail at it, you're going to learn from that anyway. So I'm in the corporate world and we hear a lot of things about work-life balance and work for me can be sitting behind screens like you and I are in front of right now. And that's what I look at for sometimes 10 to 12 hours a day. How do you manage a work-life balance being a musician and everything else that you do with being a family man now with just odd hours, weird, weird things going on, one-offs down in Florida with Bruce Kulik? I don't know how you do it. Family is always number one for me. Um, it's always been my whole life. Again, back to my book, you'll, you'll see what a family-oriented person I am. I grew up a, a Italian Catholic, so you know our, my Italian family was always number one for me. Uh, I always put everything aside for my family, but I always make time. You know, I remember you know, when I had my first kid, I would be feeding her her bottle at 4.30 in the morning while I'm on the computer writing a script for uh, a TV show I'm working on. And so you, you, any people that tell you, oh, I just don't have time for that. You obviously don't love that. You don't love what you're trying to do then because you, you can find the time. I don't sleep. Sacrifice a couple of hours of sleep a night. Sacrifice, you know, going to the movies. Sacrifice throwing that Netflix show on. Do what you love to do and keep doing it. Because sometimes it's not always the monetary payoff that, that, that is the big payoff. It's the fulfillment of seeing a project come to life. And there's a lot of projects I've done over the years that monetarily have been amazing. And then some of them have been, you know, non-money makers. But the, some of the non-money maker ones are the most fulfilling because I got to see my fruition from, you know, from conception all the way to reality. And I was listening to... Um... Uh, there was actually another podcast recently. They were talking about that the point of happiness is when you can make just enough money to pay your bills and then you're doing something more fulfilling with your life on top of that. That's It doesn't make a difference how much more you get over that. As long as there's no stress to pay your bills, you'll be okay. Um, if I had to ask you a couple of questions, you have to pick, I'm going to just being a Kiss fan that you are, a uh -oh. Kiss song out of each decade that is your top and then your top song off the new ace freely record what would it be Woo. so i listen i love all eras of kiss i love the obscure elder unmasked creatures era i love 80s i love 70s i love early 70s mid 70s all i love everything for what it is um if i have to pick a 70s song i you know even though it's cliche and it's, it's you know one of their biggest songs i'm always going back to love gun not only the record but the song Love Gun is, is such a powerful song, not only rhythmically, but vocally by Paul. It's just, to me, the quintessential Kiss song. Um, but if you, if, you had to, if you had a gun to my head and said, hey, Joey, choose between 70s and 80s Kiss, I'd probably choose 80s Kiss, believe it or not. I'm a big 80s Kiss buff. Um, I play a, a little bit with Chris Jericho's Quarantine, which is an 80s Kiss tr tribute, band, uh, basically. Yeah. 
And, you know, we love, we, all we do is text back and forth. You know, I just sent Charlie from quarantine five, 10 minutes ago. He was in the gym. I said, don't forget to do the Paul Stanley workout. And I sent them the clip of the Paul Stanley workout. That's the era we grew up in, you know, the kiss animalized live uncensored and the kiss exposed video cassettes. That's what I love. So if I have to pick an eighties kiss song, I'm going to go with who wants to be lonely. From, okay. Uh, Asylum. It's Asylum. Just, oh my God. It's just the perfect kiss song. Um, so those are the two decades, but you know, if you wedge the in-between weird, you know, unmasked, you know, creatures era, I love Satan Sinner and I love tomorrow from unmasked. There's just too many to name Jesus. Yeah, I, I feel you there. But off the new Ace record, you got one that just sticks. Yeah, God, there's the great thing about the new Ace record. So there's two ways to listen to this record. You could listen to it individual songs, and you're going to get a lot from each individual song. But what I think everyone should do, especially when it comes out, the full whether you stream it, whether you buy the vinyl, whatever you're going to do, try to set the time out to listen to the tracks as they are. Listen to it from track one all the way through track 11, I think it is, because the sequence is so perfectly uh, sequenced. It's, it's, it has such a great vibe as a record. It's not just a song and a song here. It's like those old school Kiss records. When you put Love Gun on cover to cover, it's so much stronger than just putting on I Stole Your Love or just putting on Hooligan. You know what I mean? So if you listen to the Ace record cover to cover, you're going to absolutely adore every track, I think. But if you know, I have a soft spot. Uh, Ace redid an old demo of his uh, called Back Into My Arms Again. And it was a song that I absolutely loved growing up. I was a big, you know, bootleg demo guy. I would go down to It's Only Rock and Roll on 8th Street in Manhattan. I lived right over there as a kid. And, you know, I bought all the old Ace demos and I would get the Kiss classic fanzines and all these things. And Back Into My Arms Again was always one of my favorite songs ever. So when Steve told me, he was redoing that song. First, I, you know, I was flabbergasted that I was even asked to do the demo. And then when the demo became the actual track that I played on, it's easily my favorite song on the record. All right. You guys heard it here first. Book, Start With a Dream, the latest Ace Freely record out. End days. Joey, your positivity is contagious. Thanks for hopping on, brother. I appreciate it. Dude, thanks for having me. Everyone, check me out on social media. Just go to at Joey Casada. All platforms, you'll find me everywhere. I just saw a post from Ace Freely today that said he's just a Bronx boy with a dream. We just heard from another New York native with a dream, and boy, does he sure have a story to tell. Go check out Joey's autobiography, Start With Dream. We often hear that the autobiography is the finest form of fiction, but I assure you that Joey is the real deal, and I can't thank him enough for coming on the show today. All of Joey's social media info is in the show notes. Take your good time with you, my friends. We'll be back next time with another great guest.